Hello and welcome to this edition of the Retail Tech Review. Today uh, we're joined by James White, who's Head of UK and Ireland at Noste. Welcome, James. Thank you very much for having us. And Me. as always, Lindsay Roundtree's managed to get back in the room as well. Hello, Thank Lindsay. You. Hello there. Uh, and I'm Hugh Williams. I'm editor at Retail Tech News. Um, so our first topic today is um, one from a couple of weeks back and it's maybe predictably, the John Lewis story. So John Lewis, John Lewis Partnership, sorry, their their profits um, have recently fallen 99%, which is quite a dramatic number. Um, and so that, yeah, obviously that's almost zero. That's for uh, H1 2018. Um, and this apparently is, is, it, is it's looking to match discounting extravaganza days from the likes of House of Fraser and Debenhams. Um, so I think my first question to you guys is, are John Lewis, as they seek to match these these discounts from their direct competitors, are they at a risk of basically breaking their never knowingly undersold promise um, by going for a lower price point and sacrificing their quality? I'll open that one up to the floor. I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm a massive John Lewis fan. Um... I don't know, not really sure why, to be honest, but I, I, re- I really am. <laughs> uh, I think it's maybe my parents or just visiting the stores. Like, I, I I guess I do know why, and I think it's part of the experience. Like, I, I think never knowingly undersold just isn't just about price. And maybe they've kind of got a bit lost in that. And like, they're just fighting around with the, you know, racing to the bottom when actually they've forgotten that they still have these wonderful stores. All their partners are excellent at serving you, generally speaking. Their customer service is like pretty much second to none, I feel, from the, the department store retailers. So, yeah, I think maybe they've just got a bit confused with their, maybe their like goal or what, what they're trying to achieve. And maybe they need to strip that back a little bit. Not that I know where to start <laughs> with however many thousands of employees in stores. But yeah. So do you think they can afford to tough it out, as it were? Because obviously people are increasingly going for convenience and loyalties kind of. Yeah. playing second fiddle to that almost do you think they can ride out this storm because 99% is massive is yeah. dramatic yeah yeah I mean I mean I think it's the the, the middle industry that's having yeah. taking the biggest hit if you look at companies like Orla Kylie going bust recently it's those ones that are serving the middle that when they've got the money they will spend the money but actually ultimately when things are a little, looking a little bit dodgy and a little bit scary for them they will then go and look for the discount side of things and John Lewis need to make a decision I mean you're absolutely right they're never knowing you're undersold tagline that's made you know that's that's part of part of them is they're making it solely about price and actually it needs to be more than that they need to remember what they actually came into this for and how they've been able to grow the way they've grown is because they are a partnership their staff are second to none who are also partners in the business and make them feel feel something and that's something their customers are still looking for they had to decide if they want to go after for discounts or try and maintain and grow those customers that are still looking for quality. Because in that middle area, there are still customers looking for quality. Um, and then they have to decide from that if they're looking at that from a store perspective or an online perspective. I think it's very, very tough for the middle at the moment. Yeah. yeah and they definitely. need to make a choice. I think that leads into my next question, which is obviously they are the classic department store, as it were. And obviously the, the main cost of that is the overheads of running the, the actual department stores, yeah, the physical locations. But do we think that their future setup of the business is going to be more of an online offering rather than in-store? I mean, if you go to Peter Jones, that's my local like department store, apart from John Lewis at home, 
and near my parents but yeah the, the peter jones is like a pretty phenomenal experience really you've got everything in one place you can go and talk to anyone they'll be super helpful to you and i actually don't think you really get that anywhere else except like maybe a selfridges or something and then you're more targeting fashion and like high end i think that their main thing is you, you always have these trends where the bottom of the market and the top of the market normally are fine so like the guys that are always discounting they're always fine the guys at the top the luxuries like the selfridges and the harrods they're not worrying they're not worrying at all because they're still attracting the that demographic and john lewis is just slightly too much in the middle at the moment and i I don't think they can ever go like really high end and they definitely shouldn't go really low end because it's just not their mantra but i do think they need to like reposition slightly higher just to avoid getting in that like oh it's too expensive to shop there which is house of fraser's problem like i think they were that's where they got lost a little bit yeah and and john lewis while they are one of the big three department stores alongside house of fraser and debenhams they've always been seen as a cut above the other two so they shouldn't necessarily be trying to compete with those two because they actually do have quite a good differentiation from a product perspective from a service perspective from a brand perspective so they need to kind of i guess revisit that a bit more and kind of remember what they're doing and why they're in this in the first place yeah do you think that's partly going to help be doing that with their new branding campaigns because obviously they're doing a big push at the moment about their change of branding so. i mean i must say it reminded me what they were all about when i yeah. first saw that ad the, the the massively long ad kind of the the ad, the bohemian rhapsody i was very much touched by it and like oh yeah that is john That's lewis I love is, you uh, guys, yeah, yeah completely and yeah. john lewis has frustrated me recently because my local one which is not peter jones um is frankly terrible and the stuff there <laughs> really annoy the hell out of me but um Everybody else I speak to that has better local John Lewis's than, than, than I do still absolutely love it. And they say, this is why I go there. And you go there because you know if you're going to buy electrical products, you're going to get a kind of two-year guarantee thrown in. And it might cost 20 quid more than the other place I was going to buy it from. But actually, I'd rather buy it from John Lewis because I know I'm going to get a better service there. And that's what I'm still hearing from people. So that's what John Lewis needs to remember, that people will still go there despite it costing maybe slightly more than other places because they want it to come from John Lewis and they want that knowledge and that safety of what they're the purchasing. The guarantee, they're Completely. still one of the only companies that does that guarantee, their built-in guarantee to every product you yeah. buy. And also, like, if you take it back to the really simple daily stuff on the Waitrose side, like the, you know, the food, you know, you go to Waitrose and you know you're going to get ripe avocados, like massive first world problem right but you know you're going to get ripe <laughs> ripe avocados. avocados into this conversation if you go to the the other you know like the kind of discount stores you you're probably going to get pretty rank hard it's a gamble. fruit yeah and they'll it's, say it's yeah. ripe but it ain't ripe yeah exactly yeah. and it's simple things like that that make a massive difference like customers expect that from them and so yeah. they can afford to, to position themselves higher because of that i think and but yeah. something something needs to change doesn't it yeah I agree. Uh, again it's, it's a really dramatic thought so what do they need to one one thing from each of you, not putting you on the spot at all here. Um, <laughs> what what do they need to do to really reverse these fortunes? I think they should. I, they they should not be. I think they need to reposition this never knowingly undersold that they've had for so long and keep it, but make sure that people understand within that it's not just about the price. It's about the service, the guarantee. So, okay, cool. Well, when you're buying your laptop from John Lewis. Do you know you get a one year free warranty with that and not when you buy it from the other stores? Yeah. That's that's not undersold, even if it's slightly more expensive. So like those kind of key like points of differentiation, I think are are really key. And I'm not a marketing person. I'm not sure the best way to go about that. But I think that needs to be, like Almost you said, heavily emphasized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think they need to not try to conform and compete yeah. because 
if they do try and compete, they're not really going to win because no. they, they, they can't compete. If, if they are going at it from a price level, they're never going to win that battle. So they need to try and differentiate in other ways and kind of keep their point of differentiation, which is their the quality and go after the quality, not the price. Customers that want service. There's plenty of those still out there. They've mm, not gone anywhere. Are. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next story is not about customers that want service. Uh, it's about uh, <laughs> Tesco opening their new Jack's stores, uh, which are going to, only sell Tesco private label stuff. Um, and basically, apparently, they're going to undercut Aldi and Lidl. Um, which, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not going to get your avocados there, I don't no, think. Um, but do we, do we think this is going to work? Do we think that this is actually going to wrestle away market share from Lidl and Aldi? Because that's getting up towards 15%, I think, now. Do we think this, this ploy from Tesco is going to help them? Because they, they've still got the biggest market share. Yeah. Uh, as a seed market yeah exactly um yeah it might do it actually might for people that are are very that have been in the past very brand loyal to tesco and go to aldi little because they know they can get what they want for a fraction of the price i know that many of those people still find aldi little very quite frustrating experiences because they are quite manic quite chaotic it's difficult to find what you're looking for but they will they will wrestle with that and they will use that as a compromise to know they're getting kind of really good products at a decent price um but at the same time it's fascinating for me that uh, you know, we've spoken to somebody from who works for a media agency who said that their client Lidl do are not looking for new customers. And if you look at the way Lidl Aldi are advertising, they're not trying to get new customers into the door. They're trying to get the customers that are already in the door to actually spend more with them. They actually can't cope with more customers. So maybe Jack's opening will actually do them a bit of a favour from that perspective because they all they want is the customers they do have to increase their basket and not use Aldi and Lidl to buy the odd thing here and there that they know they can get cheaper there, but actually buy their entire shop there. And the price comparison ads that they're doing, both of them are doing on TV at the moment, definitely kind of plays to that really, really well. So I think the Jack thing could be interesting because will I go to Jack's for a weekly shop rather than Aldi and Lidl? Well, if I'm used to going to Tesco for a weekly shop, I might do. So that's where they could probably do quite well out of this. Yeah. And then, but then are they just cannibalizing their own sales rather well, than just yeah. own, like winning new customers? I think like one of the key things is that Aldi and Lidl have clearly shown that there's like a massive market for these t- this type of, of kind of food retail or FMCG retail. And I think there's there's the, the market share is growing or the market, ca- whatever you want to call it, is growing massively. And so probably there's a bit of room for, for Jack's in there. I think I, I was reading in the, the BBC article that Aldi and Lidl are opening 150 more stores between them in the next year or something like that like Absolutely crazy massive amount of stores so there's probably room for jacks in there even if they're not trying to win new customers there's probably plenty of room so i think like it's just another one in in the mix i think it's really important like will the numbers stack up for tesco's because they're doing a different model to what they're used to yes they're trimming costs out of the stores which is great but the price is coming down probably reasonably significantly when you're talking mm. fmcg terms so yeah and what about the, the the slightly higher end supermarkets, the the Sainsburys, the Morrisons? How is this going to affect them? I think it maybe comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, is it a slightly different position? Uh, I mean, like, I I personally see Sainsburys and Morrisons in the same bracket as, as Tesco's. I think they're a bit, they're very much the same. And then uh, will it help maybe Tesco's cannibalize a few, like will take a few of their customers, like m- incremental gains, maybe. I still think it's a slightly different customer group though, mm. but I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure to be honest. 
No, and I, I wonder, you know, as, you, as you said yourself, like, will it affect Tesco? Like, how will Tesco be able to cope with the two different audience profiles they're looking at here? Kind of who is Jack's customer versus who is Tesco customer? And how do they reconcile that? And how do they target those customers individually? Or are they going to do sort of group advertising? Who knows? That will be an interesting one. I think the you referring to Sainsbury's, Morrison's and Tesco in the same bucket, I completely agree. And that will... Where's Asda, though? In inter- <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, Asda are comparable with Aldi and Lidl, yeah. but kind of have a very, very different approach to things. And a lot of the things people are buying from Asda probably do tend to be the own brand stuff over and above the, the brands because it is cheaper. And that then puts Sainsbury's Asda in, a diff- in, a, in an interesting position as to how they will then... Because asda is almost the say the the kind of the, the jacks aldi little version of sainsbury's when they kind of their merger kind of comes off so it'll it'll make the entire grocery um industry in this in this market very very interesting yeah i don't think with with, with sainsbury's asda merger and then tesco opening jacks and little and aldi always on the rise again made more bad news for john lewis with waitrose though yeah as the rest of the industry Kind of it's going to be more important even now for them to position themselves properly. Yeah. Because yeah. this mid-market seems like pretty well dominated. They can't go low end, obviously. And that's now got a third kind of major competitor. And then they're basically now, I would say, compete. John Lewis, if you go back to them, they're competing with kind of like Whole Foods and those kind of regional chains that mm. actually like booths up in the north. That's like really, really high high quality. And it's kind of stops Waitrose like almost growing yeah. there. So. Yeah, you're right. It's a big, big, um, big challenge for them. Yeah, cool. We're going to move on to our, our last story now. Um, so this is the news that only Google and Facebook now have a bigger ad business than Amazon. Um, so Amazon just passed Oath and Microsoft and will account for 4.1% of all digital ad spend in the US. Uh, that's going to be up at 7% by 2020. Um, so are, are we seeing, because for years we've had the geopoly facebook and google smush those words together in whatever way you want facegoo facegoo yeah goo book yeah both of them um are we now going to have a a triopoly is amazon gonna get in there because i think their their market share is still significantly more than amazon's but is it going to catch up do we think yes but it'll take a long time i mean we're we're still only even by 2020 we're still only talking seven percent versus the behemoths of Google and Facebook. There's, there's, Amazon's have a long way to go, yeah. but Amazon have such a fascinating model with what they're doing. And the the retail aspect of Amazon of Amazon and where Amazon's ad business is going is what is helping to drive that. And kind of the e-commerce side of things is such a huge thing for them. Somewhere that Google are trying to compete in their own way against Amazon. Facebook, not so much, but that could be a, a route they go down as they see how well Amazon are doing. Because Amazon are just kind of absolutely stomp, storming it in the e-commerce side of things and almost using that to push up their ad business and then google and facebook are obviously storming it in the ad side of things and trying to look into the other areas that they can dominate and differentiate as well i think that amazon will definitely get there and amazon are definitely a force to be reckoned with but they're already considered to be kind of with moving into the sort of triopoly stakes anyway and you know if you look at some of the acronyms that are out there the french have been using gaffer for ages google amazon facebook and they bring apple into that for some reason as well well, well, obvious reasons, but maybe not so much anymore. Um, so many, many markets are already thinking of Amazon along those lines. But when you look at the numbers, there's still a long way for them to go. But I don't think that concerns Amazon yeah. the slightest. Yeah, I think they've got such a diverse portfolio. Like their ads is obviously a great win for them, but it's not like a, 
I think they're they're burning to make more money from ads, right? They're just going to take it as it comes. Mm. They're getting more and more Google, uh, Amazon searches every day for product. You know, like seven, nearly seventy percent of people search on Amazon for reviews before they buy. So it's like a ridiculous amount of traffic just checking stuff out, let alone buying it, which is a massive portion as well. So I, I think I don't think Amazon really care too much. Obviously, they want to grow the ad business for sure, but I don't think it's like a priority no. for them. Facebook and Google, should they be massively worried? I mean, like you said, there's a massive chunk out of, of their market there probably to be to be taken. But I think Facebook has a very like different play on things with like all the behavioral data that they have from multi-channel, whereas Amazon only has like commerce channel data. So it's a quite, it's quite a different proposition in, in that respect. Google covers a lot of bases, obviously they cover a portion of the behavioral part and the commerce area as well. So that it's funny, they actually all sit in their own little spot within their, you know, and there's obviously smaller guys trying to take chunks out of each of them just failing miserably. But um, yeah, I think I think they're, they're quite successful standing alone, obviously, and they, they're becoming closer and closer together. But I don't think they have much to worry about with each other, especially not in the next like 10, 15 years or so. Mm. I think the one place where they do align or they do kind of butt heads the most is, is the entertainment side of things. Yeah. So it is around kind of the TV, the music, that sort of thing. You have the video, face, yeah. Yeah, Facebook coming in with a Facebook Live. Obviously, Amazon's Prime, Amazon, what's it called? Amazon Video now, keep changing the name. That's that's becoming a, a you know a massive thing, particularly in this market. And Google have, have got you know YouTube Red and, and, and Google Play and all that kind of thing. That's where they compete the most, but they're still quite the same but different and if i can't find what i want on one i probably will go to the other and there They've are many still got their niches right completely is, yeah. yeah and there are many consumers that will op- will look at them that way i think where google probably see the biggest threat with amazon is is the changing face of search not even just voice search but search in general i mean whereas i might have used to have searched for a product i wanted to buy on google i might now go straight to amazon and, f- and try and find it there and if i can't find it there or i can't find it in the way that i want i'll then go back to google and find it that in that means of, of like instead so is amazon becoming the first part of port of call for Commerce, product search yeah maybe Probably. it's cussing out a middleman isn't it by going yeah. straight to amazon yeah. it just helps you out speeds up the process it does yeah and that's what on google are trying to do, obviously flip that and trying to improve their product listing as improve google shopping but amazon will still win because amazon is is the commerce platform and google is do. not yet yeah. yeah yeah it's true cool we'll now move on to the second part of our podcast um so we're gonna find out a little bit more from james about nosto um so james over to you uh, what what is your role at nosto and what what do you guys at nosto do yeah so um we'll start with my role it's less important um my role <laughs> is um yeah i head up the uk team at nosto so uh, we're a Finnish company uh, but here we've got a kind of client-facing arm. So we've got customer success managers, sales, um, marketing, um, partnerships, and, and kind of integration. So the client-facing side. Uh, and my job is kind of looking after that team, um, kind of taking in their feedback and steering the ship, if you will. Uh, in terms of Nosto, like I said, Finnish company founded in 2011 by three retailers. And we've been... We started with product recommendations. They built it for their own store, productized it, scaled it up, and now we work with over two and a half thousand customers uh, globally. Product recommendations, on-site, on-site content personalization, segmentation, email personalization. So, kind of bringing that like Amazon-style experience to uh, 
to the the, the non Amazon, yeah. the, the non Tropoli retailers, I guess. So how does that how does that look on? So when they set it up on their website, how does that differ to what you see on Amazon? Because obviously Amazon, no Gold disrespect, standard. Amazon are the kings yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, it, when mean, it comes to this. Yeah, um, I mean we're we're the first to admit that. Like if you're ever in <laughs> doubt as to what to do next, like look yeah, at Amazon. Yeah. What have Amazon done recently? <laughs> and when um, someone's arguing with you about why they should do something, it's like well. Amazon doing it, you're not. When they've got two tabs up, what are they going to decide to do? It's very much that simple. Like, you can't beat and join them. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and there are different ways to do it. I mean, like, I guess in, in practice, if you're looking at a, a store, like there's John Lewis actually do it reasonably well. Um, bulk powders is a is a great one for like optimal e-commerce experience, but like very targeted messaging, understanding your your personal behavioral profile on a store. So what categories you're interested in, what affinities you have. And then personalizing everything from menu deliverability, uh, you know, show new customers like your trademark, so like your warranty, your next day delivery, show existing customers your um, like uh, your what you call it loyalty points, like those kind of very simple, subtle things that all add up over the the course of a couple of pages to to a transaction. And how does that technology work? So how do you how do you get from I'm going through looking at different categories to then actually getting a product recommendation on the next page. Yeah, so how it works is, I guess it's in, in kind of layers. So we have um, basically a machine learning AI um, system uh, and it's a section of layers. So it's like product graph, understanding how the products link together. You've got individual profiles. So the, the five of us in this room, we'd all have our own profile and our preferences, colors, sizes, flavors, tastes, whatever it might be, depending on the store. Um, and then merchandising rules, third-party data like omni-channel, user-generated content, etc. And we kind of mash it all together. And then as you're browsing the site and you start to go away from the crowd data and towards the kind of individual profile data, that's when we can start to show, well, ah, you're in New York, so let's show you deliverability for New York. And you've looked at hiking gear, so let's remove skiing, camping, and let's just show you hiking yeah. categories, for example. And can you pull that across devices as well? So if I'm looking at something on mobile, would that would I then get a product recommendation on desktop or? Yeah, exactly right. So um, obviously like with the internet and all the devices, I mean, we probably all in here got work phones, pers personal phones, multiple laptops. We don't get work phones. Devices, you Do don't you get work phones. Get work phone? I don't get a work phone, no. Mm, there that. you go, <laughs> worth looking into. Keep, keep Amazon and Google and Nosto busy trying to track you. But um, <laughs> So once we have like a unique identifier, like a, um, a browser ID or an email address, something like that, yeah, we can link the two together, but otherwise you're, you're kind of anonymous. But we can work on anonymous browsing profiles. That, that works absolutely fine. That's how Google and uh, Facebook do it as well. Okay. It's quite, quite well-known kind of tech. Why is it so important then? Well, so obviously Amazon have been doing it for years, so we know it, it works and it's good. And obviously you guys have done very well and there are other companies like you. Yeah. Why is personalization product recommendation so important to, to e-commerce? What sort of benefits, when, when the all three founders set up Nosto, what sort of benefits did they want to achieve? So you kind of hit the nail on the head at the start. So the, the big guys can do it because they can afford to. You know, Netflix have like, five and a half thousand people in their recommendation engine team um so that's a massive Did not know that that's huge yeah <laughs> so that's a massive uh, massive team just working on recommendations but 75 percent of their like um output or w what people watch is decide is like defined by the recommendations that people get so we're we're sheep basically we like to kind of almost be guided and told what what to do and so their kind of view was wanting to do 
this for the kind of mid-market, the, the low enterprise and, and the SMB segment as well. And that's what Nosto is there for. It's for those companies without a team of like 50 to run your yeah. uh, your your campaigns. It's for those one to one to sort of 20 teams uh, where you can work across the different channels effectively. Uh, you can action um, the insights that you get as well. So it's it's meant to be easy to use and, and massively scalable. But when you don't have the, the budget or the, the team to spend like yeah. five, 10 million a year on a, on a resource as well. That's interesting. I think the reason I think it works for Netflix is, I was just thinking about this, sorry, is because there's so much content on there, isn't there? I don't, I don't want to scroll through. I don't want to go down to dramas or whatever and then have to scroll through 30 times to find something that I think is remotely interesting. I want yeah. it there. Exactly. As soon as you see it, I guess it's the same with e-commerce pages. If you've got... 70 pages of shopping you don't want to go to click through all of them you want somebody to give you an idea of what you want i think almost. it's it's as simple as like if you think of mono brands that sell sell male and female and they're showing a home page with male and female when i've only looked at male products and i've only looked at like jackets and outwear it's a waste of time to show me female laundry products i'm not going to buy those so and then when you take that to like a multi-brand store and you've got like i'll take the I, I, the only mentioned is one of my colleagues was talking to them earlier before we left but they sell like hiking camping all this kind of stuff and what they've got is like segments for like skiers for campers for hikers if you show an interest in skiing they change it to like the the name of the company with your ski wear your trusted ski wear retailer in the logo they change the menu to ski boots ski um outwear ski this uh, they change the banners all around. They change the recommendations to only ski equipment and they show only the ski brands in the brands banner. So like, that's like optimal. And that's what Amazon does. Mm. But it's ways of doing it more, like Amazon just design is like purely transactional. But when you're like a luxury brand, you need to be a bit more like brand focused, let's say. Um, and when you're a mo like a multi-brand with, um, with all these kind of diverse categories, you have to be a bit more like experiential otherwise why would they not just buy it from amazon and this is one of the hard things is like you could buy this products for the same price every, you know, everywhere now whereas 10 years ago that was the fight like who sells it cheapest you could also get products delivered to you like from anywhere from one to ten days a few years ago now you can get it all next day so when you can get the same price and the same deliverability options where do you choose and that when, John Lewis conundrum again. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And um, if you've got 10 tabs up and you're typing between and one of them is showing you exactly what you want, speaking to you, showing you all the trust marks you need to buy, reviews, next day delivery, next day delivery, 30 day warranty, why are you not going to do that? Versus someone who isn't, but selling the same product. And it's just those like, we're in the, we're in the age of like subtlety almost in e-commerce, like subtlety is, is really key. Um, and Amazon does it not so subtly, but they can afford to now. Everyone else More attractively. Has... It's not aesthetically pleasing. No, it's not. But everyone knows but it and expects it. It is easy and they don't yeah. need to make it look pretty. Yeah. But if I'm a fairly unknown brand that's trying to sell the same things, yeah. I need to make but more of an effort. Yeah, it's true. I guess it's double standards <laughs> then because when we've spoken about John Lewis a lot today, but John Lewis have to integrate that uh, product recommendation into their site seamlessly it has to fit in with what you're looking at on the page whereas amazon don't have to because you get you get you don't go on amazon for a, an amazing customer experience to look at the the pretty site you go on there to get what you want quickly and get off there again yeah. um so they can just stick it on the side of the page and it's and it's done so i guess one of the challenges for retailers is how they actually integrate the recommendations into their page yeah design styling what how heavy you want to go on 
you know there's yeah. there's two things there's personalization and there's merchandising and like there's a very thin line between the two so obviously it's like do we show everyone exactly what they want to see all the time that's great maybe our conversion rate's going to go up but like if you're a multi-brand retailer that might plummet your profitability so you kind of have to say well let's show them of the 30 trainers that they might want to buy let's show them the 10 that are most profitable for us based on like brand or right. price so you've got like this kind of relevancy versus profitability mm. thing as well yeah which is i think it's really interesting it's probably the most interesting conversations we have around those topics like work making it work for your business not just copying the people that you think are doing it well because it can actually be just it can be hurting them in some ways so it's important to do it well it is interesting and then how do you or, or do retailers really care about this because obviously ultimately as you say it's, it's merchandising and ultimately it's around the bo- about the bottom line yeah that's course, fundamentally yeah. what it is but yeah. also giving the customer the best experience possible what if by doing this and by if, if i'm interested in ski wear okay here is all of the ski wear slash here is the ski wear that is most profitable to us so yeah. here you go yeah is there then concern around them at the, the sort of the, the element of almost discoverability being lost like I, I was looking for ultimately ski wear but actually i might have also bought something else if i had the opportunity to be able to navigate the site more easily and not just be like everything yeah. being shooting into ski wear and that's where the balance comes you mm. might find like actually that we were a bit too aggressive with our segmentation and that we actually were too aggressive with our like to drive margin and through our profitability like filtering and so we actually found that it hurt our conversion rate because we were too narrow and we also hurt our profitability because we actually went so narrow that people stopped buying stuff so then you would kind of like open out again this is where like testing comes in people don't do enough testing like testing is massive obviously in e-commerce it's really easy to do but people implement tools like us and similar and then they kind of just expect it to just work without any input and uh, ai sounds like it does everything but you still need to define the action of it right yeah yeah you still need humans we're not like irobot like um whatever it called bicentennial man yeah we need like people to steer this this around Yeah, and is, is that a challenge as well kind of the, the testing thing is obviously fundamental and there are a lot of companies that will implement something like like a nosto platform nosto solution to do a bit of testing for a month go brilliant we now know it works that's gonna that's what we're gonna do for the rest of yeah the rest of time yeah, yeah. and then don't actually realize it's an iterative process that needs constant updating because consumer behavior changes all the time and kind of there's, there's so many different macro microeconomic factors that are affecting why people do what they do Exactly. Actually, Tesco needs to be ongoing. Testing yeah, needs to be on- Tesco, 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 Tesco needs to be Testing, ongoing as well, yeah. to be fair. Um, yeah, I think it's the, the, the biggest challenge is like time. Retailers almost, you know, they, they within reason, they have budget to do these things, especially if they're doing reasonably well. Um, they, they kind of know what their challenges are almost always. Um, and if not, they're quite easy to uncover because it's e-commerce. Their challenges are often quite similar. But then having the time or the team to implement it is normally the biggest thing. So like, oh, we should try this, this and this. Cool. Who's going to do it? Well, um, I mean, we can implement the test, but you need to kind of do it. And so one of the things we're working on next is a kind of um, continuous optimization. So you can actually set up like two or three tests of like, let's say one banner or one recommendation type. And then nosto will pick the winner automatically so it might pick it in a day it might pick it in a month it might never be able to pick it because they're so even in terms of the the metrics that you want to achieve and so we're actually trying to take stick with our kind of um as let's say ease of use with the power so actually taking the onus away from the retailer who doesn't have time to do the testing and saying well look just take the two or three variants you want don't worry about it it's going to pick the winner or not and then you can add another one later 
and that you might do that in three months you might do that in a month or a day uh so you just yeah that's kind of our focus is trying to keep keep it friendly for retailers so they're not overwhelmed by it and that's the big challenge when you look at someone like amazon or netflix and you've got like well they've got five thousand people doing it it's like yes you're never going to be able to do that at least in the not in the next five years you know even a massive retailer like john lewis in the uk they're probably one of the biggest e-commerce businesses or argos they don't have all those people they're using tools to do it it's only the it's only the really you know to be honest i can't even think of anyone outside of amazon and some of the big marketplaces in like india china and south africa that have don't have their own they all have their own stuff everyone else is using a piece of technology like an expert to help them with it so yeah yeah exciting times um right we will call it a day there uh james thanks very much for coming in Lindsay, thanks for having me thanks very much for your input as well and we will see Always. you next time <laughs>